Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Sport podcast. My name is Jake Bickerton and I'm the editor of Broadcast Sport. This episode of the Broadcast Sport podcast is with Jack Genovese from Ampere, providing some fascinating insights into what sports fans are willing to pay for and what they aren't willing to pay for. Steve Bolton from Golden Egg Innovation also joins the podcast, which was recorded at the Broadcast Sport Content Summit at Doc 10 Studios, to talk about the Gran Turismo Esports Championship and the virtual studio environment they created for the competition. The discussion is chaired by Bubble PR founder Sadie Groom. I'm Sadie Groom, I'm the MD of Bubble Agency, um, and I've got with me Steve Bolton from Golden Egg Innovations, that's right, and Jack Genovese. Did I get that right? You yes. Did. Yeah, from Ampere um, Analysis. So, um, firstly, um, Jack is going to do a short presentation on some data. Jack, do you want to tell everyone about what it is you do? Of course, yes. Yeah. So, hello, hi, everyone. Thanks for introducing me. My name is uh, Jack Genovese. I work at Ampere Analysis, which is a data and markets analytics uh, firm based in London, uh, as well as a research firm. So, we conduct our own research, which is something that will um, uh, which I will discuss today. Uh, the focus of today's session is going to be obviously uh, sports fans um, and uh, the way in which they engage with content, particularly increasingly uh, on uh, social media platforms and digital platforms. That section is going to be structured in uh, three parts. So in the first part, I'll give you a brief overview of the findings of our research that we have been conducting for years, as well as research, bespoke research on sports fandom. Uh, and I'm going to uh, give a few details as to how and how frequently uh, uh, sport fans in the UK engage with sports. The second section is going to focus instead on social media sport fans, so those fans that do engage with so social media content that has to do with sports more frequently. And finally, I'm going to uh, touch upon the dynamics that uh, um, affect the markets in which, obviously, uh, the, the opportunities for social media uh, content arise. So without further ado... Let's look at how UK fans engage uh, with sports. So first of all, a, a brief overview of our methodology. So uh, Ampere Analysis has an established history as a researcher in uh, the media and entertainment industries. So we've been running a, uh, multiple waves of uh, customer research, regular waves of customer research in uh, uh, the UK and other 24 markets. Uh, we survey internet users, 2,000 internet users per wave per market across 25 markets, as I said, asking questions around uh, behaviours and attitudes with respect to media entertainment services. Uh, and uh, so the latest wave was published in last week, actually. Uh, uh, we, we, with that, we have spoken to essentially 100,000 respondents across the world. Um, the qu kind of questions we will ask are... Uh, have to do with uh, the services that uh, people subscribe to, uh, the, their estimated amount of time spent watching content, uh, how they get their services, what devices they use it for, and what genres uh, they, uh, they prefer watching, the, what their favorite genres are. And it is, in fact, through the genre question that we identify the number of sport fans uh, that uh, are present in, in each market. So here in this slide, I'm looking at, I'm essentially giving you an overview of the markets that are covered by um, our survey program, research program, and uh, the different shades of colors uh, of blue give uh, a bit of an indication of the degree of variability between the number of sport fans that each market is characterized by. Uh, please always bear in mind that uh, our research is aimed at internet users, so it might skew a little uh, wealthier maybe in some of the markets where internet penetration is not as 
high as maybe some of the more mature markets like the UK or the, the US. But in the largest European markets in the US, for sure, the, uh, num the level of sport fandom has uh, been relatively constant uh, and always between the 40 and 50 percent of, of respondents. In fact, let's look at the UK in specific. What we have in the latest wave, which again was uh, the, the, the research wave was conducted in August 2021 and interviewed 2,000 people in the UK, 39% of them um, uh, mentioned to us that they do enjoy watching sports on TV, so we identify those as sports fans. And I could talk to you about how uh, sports fans differ uh, or are common indeed to the average uh, UK viewer in many, many ways, but obviously that would require a much longer presentation. So I'll just stick to two characteristics which I thought could be interesting and relevant for this conversation. The first being that uh, sport fans consume more video than the average. Uh, and what's remarkable about it, in fact, is that the increased uh, self-reported video consumption uh, from sport fans with compared to, compared to the, the average viewer in the UK is entirely driven by live video, which is entirely consistent, of course, uh, with the, the way in which sports uh, content is, is, is delivered and consumed. And secondly, something that I thought could be interesting for this conversation is that sport fans tend to be slightly wealthier than the average respondents to our surveys. So 50% uh, of uh, the uh, people... Um, of the sport fans in our, in our panel uh, earned, had an annual household income of £30,000 or higher. As I said, the, program, the research program that we have uh, looks at a range of factors that have to do with media consumption across uh, the entire internet population of this country and other countries. But what we wanted to do was to have a more uh, deep, deeper dive into the uh, ways in which sport fans consume content, and not just that, to be able to place and locate sport media consumption with other, within the wider array of activities that have to do with sports, such as going to live events, or being a fan of a particular team, or engaging with other media. Uh, so what we have done, essentially, is to run a bespoke uh, research, uh, consumer research program. Uh, that started in Q1 2021. I'm actually quite excited because you're the first person, the first people who get to see the data that I'm, uh, uh, we have collected through that uh, survey. And uh, we have uh, identified sport fans in the same way as we did for the wider consumer search. So essentially, we ask people whether or not they enjoy, well, what genres they enjoy uh, watching on television. If they select sport among the others, they would get rooted into the survey. Um, the uh, representativeness of the data is guaranteed by the fact that we have been running uh, this longer research program, so we know roughly what uh, the average sport fan looks like in the UK. Uh, so they skew like, uh, slightly more male, as, as expected. Uh, they're a bit younger in general, so in, in this uh, particular wave, we had about 50% of the, of the sample falling within the 24 to 45, 25 to 44 age brackets. And again, I could, uh, I could go on and on. I could do a one-hour presentation if I wanted with all the data we've gathered. Uh, but I think that Jake would be very mad if he did. So I'll probably just give you a very brief overview of what the highlights of the research were. One of the things that, strike, uh, that has stricken me the most is the notion that sport, that football is so dominant in this, in this country. As you can probably, as you probably have guessed, I'm not from this country myself. Uh, the, uh, so 
50%, roughly 50% of sport fans uh, who have responded to our survey said that the, the football was their favourite sport and there is no sport that comes even close to that in terms of their favourite sport. So the closest near was tennis, 6% of fans, uh, and then rugby was at 3%, foot cricket was at 4 So you can imagine that obviously that will have implications in terms of, and it does have implications in terms of the value of the rights, in terms of the value of the business in general. However, obviously, no single, no sport fan, uh, or very few at least, uh, only uh, enjoy only one sport. So we've asked what uh, the about a wide range of sports that they might enjoy. So again, football uh, then results the being most popular sport with 80% of respondents saying that they do enjoy football. But then there are events like the Olympics and tennis that actually do attract quite a, a sizable uh, portion of the sport fandom. So around 50% those two. As I said before, uh, inevitably, if you have uh, one sport that dominates so much, there will be ev the most popular events will all be uh, related to that particular sport. So the Premier League, uh, unsurprisingly, has uh, scores high, very, very high in, in, in level of interest. So 52% of our respondents say they are interested in the Premier League. 37% say that they would be willing to pay to watch that uh, particular event, <laughs> as, if, as we know, many of them, in fact, do. Uh, the Champions League and the FA Cup were the two uh, second and third uh, more po most popular uh, events. So again, the top three events are all football related. Uh, those had a slightly lower um, willingness to pay level, which probably has to do with the way in which these events have traditionally been shown on television. So um, in particular, when it comes to the FA Cup, I think there's still a, 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 a level of expectation that it will be shown on, on live, on free-to-air television. The largest um, non-football-related sports were Wimbledon, with 27 Yes, 27% uh, interest level uh, and 10% willingness to pay level. Again, uh, the Olympics were similar, so 24 and 5% willingness to pay. Again, as explained largely by the fact that they are the so-called crown jewels. Uh, what's interesting about this is that these non-sporting events tend not to be seasonal. They tend not to be season long, but they're rather one-off events or contained in terms of the duration. We ask... We asked uh, our, uh, our respondents how and how frequently they engage with sports content. So what was interesting uh, from this survey was that uh, a quarter of respondents told us that they, a quarter of sports fans then, rewind, um, say that they consume live sports on a daily basis, uh, and a further 50% consume live sports content uh, um, on a weekly basis. That means that three quarters of sport fans in the UK will watch uh, a, uh, an event, a race, a match, on a, uh, at least once a week. And what's interesting about this is, is that there is significant overlap between those that do that on linear television and those that do that on OTT platforms, which explains, which, which, which uh, uh, is a testimony to the fact that OTT has now increasingly become a, a core way in which people and sport fans access content. We also asked about the way, ways in which uh, sport fans engage with non-live content. And this is where it got very interesting. What we found out is that almost 50% of sport fans engage on a daily basis with sport content on social media, um, be it through, directly through the, uh, the, the teams or the competitions that they follow, be it through uh, 
just by uh, conversations with other fans or maybe through the favorite athletes. And that is uh, a lot higher than uh, those that do consume non-live content on, uh, um, on um, uh, newspapers, on news websites or on, on dedicated blogs. I'm saying the word unsurprisingly a lot, I know, but unsurprisingly, <laughs> unsurprisingly, this is particularly driven by younger uh, demographics. So um, sport fans in the 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 age brackets are much more likely to, to engage with sport content on social media on a daily, daily basis. So more than half of them do. Um, and uh, in fact, they are also consuming, spending more and more time uh, engaging with uh, uh, sport content on uh, social media for younger generations, for people in the 18 to 34 age bracket, it's the second um, second largest activity by time spent per week, right after watching live matches. So, what this is again all self-reported, of course. But what, when we ask people how do you spend your time in relation to sports, uh, they will say that they spend about five hours watching live matches per week, whereas they'll tell us that they spend almost two hours engaging with social media content uh, on uh, that have to do with sports. And in fact. Something that we have also found is that there is a, a correlation between the interest in a, in a particular event and their social media following. So that is to say that this is true uh, in proportion for essentially all of the, all of the um, leagues that we ask about. So what does characterize um, these social media fans? We've started, first of all, from defining a social media sport fan as somebody who engages with social media uh, with sport content on social media at least daily. Um, that made up about 60% of the, of the panel, of the uh, sample uh, in our panel. Again, unsurprisingly, they skew younger. They tend to have a similar uh, taste profile uh, to the general, the average sport fan. Uh, what was interesting, and that's the circled um, area there on the top, I might actually share some of these slides with you if you can't see it very well. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that some of the sports that may be harder to consume on traditional television tend to have a higher following among social media fans. I'm talking about basketball, American football and wrestling, which obviously are um, affected by the time difference in most cases. So they, um, uh, social media fans, I'm going to use this term to refer to, again, those that frequently access sport content on social media. Social media fans tend to watch are more likely to watch more uh, live matches than the, the average sport fan. They claim they spend more time watching uh, live matches, so six hours per week versus four and, and four and a half for the average sport fan. They claim to be willing to pay um, a higher maximum. So this is a question around what is the maximum amount that you would be willing to pay for a pay TV or OTT subscription package that includes all of your favorite sports. The average resulting from the, uh, the entire sample was 21 pounds. The average resulting from the sport fans was 24 pounds. So that means that they're more uh, willing to pay than uh, the, the average. They're also more uh, likely to claim that they would prefer subscribing to an OTT service than a traditional uh, cable or satellite service. Uh, that's obviously um, understood as they will more likely to use 
uh, um, the, the internet, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I thought that was just uh, in, per se interesting. So about 50% of the, sp the, the social media sport fans say that they are more likely to want to subs uh, subscribe to an OTT service rather than a, a traditional cable service. They tend to have slightly more liberal <laughs> ways uh, around uh, uh, their uh, piracy, so a bit more relaxed about it. <laughs> Good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think this, this is telling because I think it sort of um, probably gives an insight into how uh, a social media strategy around the risks uh, related to piracy could be effective given the receptiveness of those particular fans to this sort of uh, type of content. Uh, finally, <clears throat> as I said, we ask questions that don't only have to do with media consumption, that we ask questions about their behaviours. Uh, so. Uh, uh, social media fans tend to be more likely to bet on sports. Uh, so 57% of them bet at least uh, once a week, whereas 49% of the average uh, of, of, of all um, uh, respondents said they, uh, they do. Uh, in terms of the level, the amount of uh, uh, money they spend, uh, they bet on every week, it was actually level between those two groups. Uh, and finally, they're more likely to uh, buy official merchandise from the league or the team that they follow. Very quickly, why does this matter? Well, it matters because what we're seeing in uh, television is that there's obviously a decline in viewing. We saw earlier how sport fans tend to be uh, tend to watch more live contents than their, the, the, the average. However, that doesn't mean that they're exempt from some of the dynamics that are affecting the industry more widely. Our research also shows that as a result of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the level of willingness to pay for sports rights has declined in most markets and rather uniformly. Uh, so this is most likely explained by the uh, economic, worsening economic conditions that uh, a lot of these sport fans have had to face. We've just witnessed a period, well, we are coming out of a period of uh, significant sport rights inflation. Uh, and uh, some of the uh, obviously largest leagues uh, in terms of football, uh, largest leagues have been able to grow their uh, broadcasting revenues over uh, maybe the first half of the 2020s. But increasingly, we're seeing that the total amount spent by domestic broadcasters, the value of the broadcasting rights, is stagnating, if not declining. So these leagues, these clubs are increasingly find, looking for ways to increase their revenues from other sources. Uh, in most of the uh, top five football leagues, the share that sponsorship and commercial revenues make of total revenues for the clubs has increased or has stayed stable even at a time when broadcasting rights were increasing massively. Now that we expect broadcasting rights to stay uh, uh, relatively constant, if not declining slightly over the, over the next few years, it's very likely that we'll see the share of sponsorship and commercial rights increase. What that has to do with uh, social media? Well, essentially, social media can be a facilitator for sponsorship deals, and uh, I uh, decided to use the very recent example, fresh in all of our memories, of Messi being signed by PSG. It was a shock, uh, shock move that happened on August 20th. It was announced on August 20th. Uh, within two days, PSG uh, grew their social media following by 13%, several million, obviously, in the, in the case of, uh, uh, of PSG. 
uh, and within just a few weeks, they were able to announce two very, very prominent uh, sponsorship deals. Obviously, we don't expect that those two partnerships would have been in initiated by the signing of Messi, but in undoubtedly, they will have been uh, incentivized. And in fact, in the case especially of, of Crypto.com, the ability to sort of leverage the image of Messi was one of the, um, of the reasons that was cited uh, to, yeah, to motivate uh, the, the deal. So just to reiterate, what, we, what we're seeing is that UK uh, sport fans tend to be, uh, have ten, are more resilient viewers, uh, but their viewing is declining. Social media fans uh, are more engaged in a number of metrics, and uh, uh, in a context uh, where a lot of the traditional uh, revenue sources for the clubs and the leagues are put under pressure, social media and digital partnerships can be an, uh, an excellent way to grow uh, revenues and, and create opportunities. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> wow. Super interesting. And uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm a massive golf fan, so I'm surprised that golf wasn't on those figures. <laughs> but there we go. Uh, so I, we're now going to talk um, about a different type of sport. So we're going to talk about the world of esports. Um, and uh, Steve here is... Some, there's some breaking news which we're going to talk about. Um, so, Steve, do you want to tell us what uh, you and Doc10 have been up to on the esports front? Um, yes, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Steve Bolton and uh, I, I, I run a company called uh, Golden Egg Innovation and um, we traditionally stem from probably a BBC background and I used to work at the BBC until it moved to Salted and felt guilty ever since, so come back every time I can. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I suppose we come from a traditional broadcast background, but then we started working on some uh, eSports mm. um, innovation projects with Doc10, and then we sort of got the opportunity to pitch to become the uh, broadcast production partner for Gran Turismo, the um, motor racing game, which think some of you will probably sort of remember and it's it's been going for many years it's actually like playstation's yeah. uh, highest selling um exclusive game to them it sold like 80 million copies but they have a sort of their own effectively like the f1 championship which they've had since 2018 yeah. um and uh, it's fia certified so it's it's got full stewards and everything um and and, and basically because of covid suddenly Everybody is, you know, all these players from around the world are suddenly stuck at home. So we sort of had to take over this property and, I suppose, transform it. So we thought, mm. we've, well, we've, we've been doing this virtual studio stuff and thankfully they, they chose us to, to do it. Um, so I've got a little video of what it looks like and I just my experiences of it, I think it's just quite interesting yeah, no, to, to perhaps to share afterwards. Excellent. I think you see from there those all the players. I guess they're players, aren't they? Drivers, yeah, yeah, drivers, players, competitors. They they probably all really fit into that demographic that you were talking about, Jack. Actually, weren't yeah. they? And I, I think we spoke about this the other day, but very male um, and very a certain age group. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the interesting thing that I found about it is that I've I've seen a lot of esports um, on TV, and actually during the pandemic, when originally when it wasn't possible. Um, to have other sports going on. I saw a few uh, attempts, but interestingly, I just think this is the closest I've seen yeah. to something that actually could be appealing to the broader audience. And I, and I was sort of thinking mm. about why that is. And um, I think 
it's just so you know I could, we couldn't so believe it when we first saw it? it. I mean, it is unbelievably like uh, the real thing when you're watching it. And of course, we've got cameras at all these mm. competitors, so they can be like 36 competitors taking part, and they've all got uh, a camera on them, but. You can see their faces, which you can't really see in mm. F1. And they're an unusual group because they are, they are quite young and they are, you know, different to what you'd normally expect <laughs> from your... But, but I think that's sort of quite, quite interesting. But I think the fact that we've got this access to them all the time, the fact that we've been forced, in a way, to create a sort of centralised remote production mm. using the virtual studio, I just think it's probably by accident led yeah. to me thinking that you know, as a group, as an industry, mm. where we've probably been thinking about how these things can work, actually, I start. I, I do think there's a lot not of good real. things about it. And you yeah. know, they don't, they're actually they're not travelling around the world. So previously, they would go to Sydney or they would mm. go to Monaco and they would have a big event, yeah. which perhaps isn't the way forward yep. forward for certain things. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking probably is why I feel it can connect is because they actually are driving in like effectively the same as what you, what you are driving in in a car. So I think watching it, you're in no doubt of the skill and the competitive level. And plus, mm. anyone who has the game around the world can basically get into this show, yeah. into this championship, if they are the fastest in the world. So you really do have... Um, you know, in a 16-driver race, mm. the very 16 best drivers in the world. So what sort of footage are you creating for the, the sort of digital platforms that well, I mean, goes out the, on? I mean, they, and, I mean, it's been fascinating to listen to the other speakers and, you know, they're, they're incredible experiences in mm. different areas. And, you know, I was thinking of sort of Gavin, in fact, you know, around the Man City stuff and the fact that they've got the sort of documentary show because, you know, we are creating really primarily a, a two, two and a half hour monthly championship with a number of races in it qualifying everything like that but but from that we're also working with the partners at Gran Turismo for the short form mm. content so of course some of the stuff that we create what we, we can't show we don't in the show we don't want to show all of qualifying but actually we find if we record all of qualifying which might actually be seven eight yeah. nine minutes and then they put that out on digital that will actually perform really really mm. well because the core fan base are actually really interested in seeing that content so but but ourselves we've got um hq3 here um yeah. which is a you know a big green screen doctor 10 studio um and we create uh we, we've got sort of effectively like they're the younger presenters than i'm used to sort of working with at the beeve <laughs> and um you know they're influencers but they really really know the subject and they've got huge followings and they're they're very you know they're so cool and but, but sort of not cool because that's sort of cool um so it's quite refreshing for me you know it makes me not feel quite so dinosaurish um but yeah they're, it's just it, it's just really really nice and then we have the races which is the actual footage we have analysis mm. Um, and then we have feature footage, so it's you know it's it's not dissimilar really to, to normal, what we're what we're used broadcast. to, but it's different. But then the challenge, you know, the, oh, it's been so incredibly tough from a technical point of view. You know, they they launch a game about every five years or something. Mm -hmm. So as a client, and they're they're yeah. based in Japan. It's a company called Polyphony Digital, and. Um, you know, they're so exacting about what goes out. And, you know, we're turning perhaps something around in a couple of weeks and they've had their five years and I'm a bit like, yeah. well, that's not fair. <laughs> you know? but, they, but, they, but they will pick up on anything, you know, and if you have the wrong audio, and this is vision and audio, if you have the wrong audio, you know, they'll know it's the wrong car, they'll know it's in the wrong gear. So you just have to up your game a bit. 
And then they, and then for the sort of techies out there, they insist in broadcasting in 59.94 frames per second. And normally, like we're in 25 frames mm. per second. Normally, Doc 10, for example, would do most of their TV shows, all their TV shows, I think, pretty much in interlaced, and this is progressive. And it's things like that that you say, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And suddenly you find that half the kit in the building <laughs> is like, you've just got you know, engineers trying yeah. to patch things. But rem remarkably, everybody's got everything to work. But mm. I just feel like it's an area that I didn't really, I didn't really understand, I didn't totally connect with beforehand, but suddenly I, I, I'm just interested. I think it can go somewhere. And you've talked about the challenges there. What does the future look like, do you think, for esports and broadcast? Well, I think, um, I think I was chatting earlier actually with John, John McKenna, who'll be chatting later. He's a you know wonderful documentary maker who you know I sort of aspire to to, to, to be like. And we were talking about how in the past the traditional governing bodies, etc., of mm. the sports sometimes quite controlling about what you do with their with their with their product and um, and and what you are and aren't allowed to do. And I think. This is, in a sense, I mean, obviously, it's, it's Gran Turismo's IP, but it's flexible. I mean, they mm. make the game. You know, I can, we can afterwards get any angle of any car, so the analysis mm. just yeah. is, is stunning, you know, to, to tell the stories. And I think that probably, uh, and we're seeing it in the cricket with the 100 and things like that, I think where you can create a, a bit of new IP, even if it's a subsection of something that existed, I think it probably just allows the creative abilities yeah. of what you can do and then of course you mix that with virtual studio technology and it, it's such a real voyage of discovery you know we're so far from mm. you know we, we have problems all the time but we fix some <laughs> and we're proud of the ones we fix but there's you know there's there's unseen and it, it's going to take one. everybody <laughs> yeah. to engage in it to fix it you know it's not it's not our job but it is it is mm. a really really fun yeah and interesting an exciting thing to project do. yeah very much so. so jack from your point of view do you see esports coming up on that data like yeah most, most certainly yeah yeah we do we do have um we ask about uh, esports in, our, in both of our uh, surveys, and we actually have also a gaming survey mm -hmm. um, and gaming analytics uh, product that launched early in the year, which looks at the engagement from gamers into esports. E um, e uh, what we're seeing is that certainly it has been a challenge, especially mm -hmm. for traditional broadcasters, to monetize that content uh, for a variety of reasons, and I think that uh, these teething uh, problems are now s um, increasingly being uh, resolved, and so we're we're starting to see new partnerships uh, um, uh, being reached with uh, traditional broadcasters and using some of the new streaming services that they have to maybe cater to uh, audiences that may be more used to uh, consuming that type yeah. of content online, uh, be it on the platforms that have more traditionally, like Twitch or YouTube, that have more traditionally carried that content, but also on their bespoke um, proprietary platforms. I'm uh, thinking of ESPN Plus in, in, in the US, for instance. Okay. Um, quick question about the pandemic and how it's affected sports content for digital platforms. I'll ask Jack first. I know you did have a slide in there, but is there anything you wanted to... Of course. Yeah, uh, I think obviously what we're seeing is that... In, um, the pandemic, when the, the, the country went in lockdown, essentially, it, uh, and you know, basically the world went in lockdown, uh, it required uh, a lot of creativity to try and continue mm -hmm. engage with their with their fans. So social media engagement, uh, oddly enough, like probably benefited, if that is uh, something we can say, uh, from uh, from that period. Uh, and uh, I think it has uh, encouraged creativity in that in that sense. Uh, what we haven't seen uh, so much about, especially so much in in Western Europe and in the US, so much is 
the uh, leveraging social media following for the transmission of live events. Okay. Uh, but I think this is an area where we'll see a lot more uh, experimentation mm -hmm. on, especially from the clubs directly, so using maybe the, the Facebook page to uh, stream some of the live matches. Yeah. Uh, this is happening more in Asia, this is happening more in Latin America, for instance. Yeah. Steve, any thoughts on? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, the, the pandemic. This, this is we wouldn't have got you this gig. You know, this. we we yeah. just had. Well, I think we're. It was one of those ones where in the process. I think it's a Venn, Venn diagram of you know <laughs> who has done sort of traditional sport, who has done esport, who has done virtual studio, and I think when we got to the end of it, we sort of probably. And it was a global pitch, wasn't it? It so was, it and it was, but it, but yeah. it, I think we got it. If I'm honest, because I think we we were just one where someone who analysed it said, oh, probably they're the best people at yeah. it, you know, um, and. And, but it gave us that opportunity. But I think that it, it, we wouldn't have got it if people weren't forced to be at home. But mm. now it just gets me thinking, OK, there's a lot of people at home, all talent that you ever want to deal with at home. And we've seen it via Zoom. So, you know, can you do something? Yeah. Can you come up with formats that work? And, you know, bear in mind, this is, this is predominantly, this is going out now on the Gran Turismo um, sort of social channels and the PlayStation and the social channels. They have huge followings. Mm. But... I think it would be perfect for a broadcaster digital combination because yeah. there's such a huge passionate community, but I think it could connect with a much broader audience as, as well. Yeah. So what do you see as the future for sports content on digital platforms? Is it esports? Is it, you know? Well, I, I mean, you know, from, from, from my point of view, there's, um, I think all content is really about the content yeah. and, and the you know and you're fighting yeah. against it. I mean you know PlayStation again and I, you know I'm not an official spoke <laughs> spokesman for Gran Turismo of course and I so I get told off for saying it but ultimately I am you know I I would imagine of course they want people to see their game mm. and say wow that's an amazing game and then go and buy their game that's how they'll monetize it as opposed to others who are trying to sell advertising yeah. around it uh, and everything so I I think it's such a complicated market but I just think in the end, it all boils down to content. There's so many brilliant people here and they work for various different companies that are doing brilliant things. I think the main thing is that, you know, you sort of be yourself, you do your own thing. Yeah. And it's so difficult to predict what will end up, you know, this, this could, and again, don't tell them, but, you know, of yeah. course it could be, could be a disaster. And, 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 but, 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 but you go back a little bit Japan on your gut. Japan calling me on the phone, by the way. <laughs> no, but, you, but you just have to you just have to keep being brave, don't you? I think everybody's yeah. just got to keep being brave and supporting each other. And maybe, like I do, listen to people and sort of think, like, oh wow, that's brilliant. Maybe we should you know, try and learn from yeah, from, from that. From that. Um, because I am between you and lunch, I'm going to ask the same question to Jack, um, and then I'm going to suggest I've got a few questions, but maybe you could ask them when. They're having lunch. So, Jack, <laughs> uh, so what do you see as the future? Uh, I think that uh, more and more sports content is going to go um, over the top uh, when yeah. it comes to live uh, sports content. Inevitably, uh, we're seeing that more and more people, we were seeing just mm -hmm. before, uh, uh, people especially who engage with social media and they tend to be younger, so they are the future in a sense, uh, <laughs> younger than me. Uh, the, uh, they, they will expect the content to be uh, accessible in a, by a click. Um, when it comes to esports, I think that, as I said before, I think the challenge is about monetizing. And the moment the, that formula is cracked, then I think that we will see uh, esports coming to the mainstream. They're not quite there yet. Or they're not quite there in terms of the uh, level of engagement. They're not quite there in terms of maybe uh, capturing the attention of people who aren't gamers, gamers themselves. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the, probably the second challenge. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think 
Sorry, I'm now asking a question. Uh, <laughs> do you think other sports, you know, do you think football is always going to have that dominant position? And then do you think other sports are going to come up because there's, they could be more accessible on digital platforms? Uh, I think so. I think that uh, digital platforms can be used to certainly reach the consumers more directly. Yeah. The challenge, and it's something actually Barbara mentioned at the beginning of today's uh, event, uh, is that you probably ten end up uh, talking to your own fans, the established fandom, yeah. uh, what uh, uh, free-to-air broadcasting has done very efficiently or effectively uh, is to be able to actually um, popularise certain sports, mm. popularise people, popularise uh, teams, uh, particular events, and I think that that will remain um, uh, a key factor in the popularisation yeah. of sports. So a key element, in my view, of, 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 of making... of ensuring the perpetuity of a sport is essentially to uh, work across the full media portfolio. Yeah. So using uh, free-to-air to grow the popularity, uh, maybe subscription services uh, to cater directly to your mm -hmm. core fandom, and then maybe using social media and digital and subscription OTT services to over-deliver. Yeah. Over well, there's one final point on that, which I, I totally agree, but I, it, you know, again, when you've been around for as long as me, that literally people have been talking about convergence mm. of um, I suppose digital and broadcast and I do I do you know we're still of course there's always a bit of a gap but we're closer than we've been mm, obviously yeah, in my in my yeah. lifetime they are so close really OTT platforms and I think it starts to come down to really the length of content and the style of the platform that it's on and it's just like if, if you're in a hurry and you want to you know if I want to check on leads I will check on leads mm -hmm. and I, I don't need Dreams on it. No. If I've got loads of time on my hand and there's a documentary on Leeds, of course I will watch that as well. So yeah. it's it's a blend in the end. Excellent. Right, thank you guys. Um, if anyone has any questions for them, you can ask them over lunch. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please subscribe and rate us on your podcast provider. We'll see you again soon for the next episode.